0: My foot got trapped in it, and then I did like a backflip off of it and broke my foot. I think we were feeding our birds one time, and... They never knew what the cave was haunted. But I found it and tried to give it to her, but she said no.
1: It's time for the Appleseed, an hour that uses the power of great stories to help you make sense of the world and communicate with the people who are important to you. On the Appleseed, great stories can change your family's world. Whether we're talking about tall tales or fairy tales or folk tales or personal tales, family tales, we love them all. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and we're excited to bring you an hour of great stories today. The tales we'll bring you in this hour are all about games and puzzles and crazy upside-down worlds where the rules don't quite make sense. We'll meet, for example, a new husband who makes a silly bet with his bride.
2: I'm going to go out in the world, and I'm not coming back until I find three people more foolish than you!
1: That's Donna Washington, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. We'll bring you her story, Bastianello, in just a little bit here. And we'll follow Alice through the looking glass, where she becomes queen after a manner of speaking.
0: What is this on my head? A golden crown? But how can it have gotten there without my knowing it?
1: (laughs) A reader's theater performance of a moment from the great Lewis Carroll classic. And, of course, we will explore with the entire Appleseed team what the interwebs call Einstein's riddle. And you won't want to miss that later on in the hour. The stories today are all about the frustration and delight of solving a problem or a puzzle, sometimes on your own, sometimes with the family and friends around you. Now, your family might have a favorite game you like to play. It could be a simple game like counting license plates from all the states in the Union as you're driving in a car, or a game like I Spy, or you might play horse with a basketball on the playground. Uh, We know a game called Quaker Meeting, which is simply a game about being quiet. And we also know a game called Heads Up 7-Up. And maybe you know that game too. You know that game that your teacher uses to get the class quiet on a noisy day. Games are a fascinating part of human culture. They exist the world over. They're played by children and adults and men and women and poor and rich, everybody, plays games and a game can be recognized because it has certain characteristics a game sometimes takes place in a dedicated space even if that space is as simple as a game board decorated to make the game interesting a game has rules everybody agrees on a game sometimes involves some chance. Games have been used for millennia to pass down cultural knowledge and to strengthen social bonds like the bonds between family members. They're also important in practicing needed skills when the stakes are low, right? Think of how the Algonquins played stickball or what we call lacrosse to toughen young men for eventual war, but also to promote unity between neighboring villages. Games also change over time to fit the new culture that's playing them. For example, a version of Monopoly was invented at the beginning of the 20th century as a way to criticize greedy landlords who charged their tenants too much for rent. Well, it's become the most popular board game in America, and the whole point now is to bankrupt the other players, right? Even games that seem completely reliant on new technology are often a version of the same games we've always played. Ah, recognize that music, Minecraft, right? Minecraft is about building and defending what you've built. Sometimes going out to attack what others have built. You band together with others to build and defend and attack. Sometimes those people you already know. Sometimes you meet new people. It's like playing with Lego bricks or playing cops and robbers or stickball or all of those things all wrapped into one. Our first story is about a wedding day bet. (laughs) But as you listen to the story, you'll realize that this bet, this game that comes out of this wedding day bet, has rules too. And you'll be hoping that both people who made the bet will come out Winners. This is a story called Bastianello. It's originally from a comic Italian opera of the same name, but it's told to us here by the wonderful storyteller Donna Washington in front of our terrific Appleseed Studio audience. They're waiting in the Appleseed Performance Studio. Let's join them, shall we?
2: How many of you have ever been in an argument with someone and said something you did not mean? Raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you have ever gotten really upset with someone and said something you did not mean? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever gotten upset with a parent and said something you really should not have said? (laughs) Yeah, it's a thing, right? You get really upset, your mouth opens, and something just sort of falls out. Well, this is a story about that. And it's also a story about love. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. But it is, it's a story about love. And it's about the fact that sometimes you're going to argue with people, and it's okay. I first saw this story when I was at university. I went to Northwestern, and that's where I studied theater. But I got into storytelling there. And when I saw this story, I remembered a book I had when I was a kid. I love this story. It's called Bastianello. And the story goes like this Now, there once was a tailor, and he was in love with the grocer's daughter. He would go in to buy his vegetables, and they would kind of giggle at each other. And it just got to a point where he knew, he just knew he had to be with her all of his life, and he asked her to marry him, and she said, of course. (laughs) And then he asked the grocer, and the grocer said, what did she say? She said, okay, okay. So the wedding was to be had. Now, the tailor was a pretty well-to-do man. He had himself a nice home, and he had a very nice stocked wine cellar and the festivities were happening at his house after the wedding they were having the big feast and while they were there they ran out of wine and so the tailor was going to get up and get some and his new wife said oh no no i want to do it i want to do it he said all right he explained to her where the wine cellar was and so she she took the pitcher and she went and she went to the the door where the wine cellar was and <laughs> She opened the door and looked down. The stairs are really steep and narrow. She thought, oh, my. (laughs) And she went down really, really carefully, and she got down at the bottom, and and there were all the casks of wine, and she put the pitcher beneath one of the casks, and she opened up and wine started going into the pitcher, and she thought, I am so happy. I've married the tailor. He's a wonderful man. And what if, what if after a year, we have a son? Bastianello, but she didn't say it like that. She was so excited that she said, Bastianello. (laughs) Would you all say that with me? Here we go. Bastianello. Oh, he's going to be a wonderful boy. He'll grow to be a young boy and I can just see him at the age of four. And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs? And he falls down these terrible stairs and breaks his little arm. (laughs) Ah! She starts crying down there in the wine cellar. (laughs) Wine is running all over the floor. Well, she doesn't go back to the wedding. So the tailor says, well, let me go find her. And her mother says, oh, no, no, no. I will go. Don't worry. Don't worry. So she goes over and the door has closed. So she opens the door. (laughs) Ah! She goes down the stairs. Halfway down, she hears her daughter crying. She thought, oh, no. She goes down these terrible stairs. There is her daughter, weeping, whine, running all over the floor. She said, did you follow? you okay? She said, oh, mother, it's terrible. What if after a year, the tailor and I have a son, and we name him? Bastianello. And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs, and he falls down and breaks his poor arm? And her mother said, Ugh. That poor child. (laughs) And she starts crying. Wine running all over the (laughs) place. Up at the wedding, the tailor's getting a little nervous. The grocer said, oh, I'll go and find them. I'm sure they're fine. So the grocer comes, and of course the door is closed, so he opens the door. (laughs) Ooh. <laughs> he goes down the terrible stairs halfway down he hears all this weeping and wailing he thought this is terrible he gets down to the bottom there's wine all over the floor his wife and daughter are hugging each other rocking back and forth. he says what happened and, and his wife said oh it's terrible what if after our daughter and the grocer have been married for a year they have a son and they named him Bastianello and what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs and he falls down and breaks his arm and he said oh that poor boy <laughs> uh-huh. and he starts crying all three of them sitting in the wine cellar weeping their eyes out wine running all <laughs> over them finally the the tailor's excuse me he goes and he goes now he's been going up and down these stairs since he's been about four years old he opens her eh, boom, 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 goes right down There they are, screaming and holding on to each other. The first thing he does, shuts off the wine cask. (laughs) 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 And then he says, what's going on? And the grocer said, oh, it's terrible. What if after you, my daughter, you've been married for a year, you have a son, and you name him Bastianello. And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs, and he falls down and he breaks his arm. Let me see if I understand this properly. The 3 of you are sitting down in my wine cellar wasting wine, crying about something that did not happen? Is that is that what's happening here? Now when you say it like that, it doesn't sound good, does it? Maybe. He said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. We're crying about our son. We don't have a son. (laughs) But we could have a son, and if we do, we'll worry about it then. But then they all start yelling at each other. Because, you know, when you've done something and you feel a little foolish, you get a little defensive about it. And the person who thinks you've been really foolish, especially when he's upset that the wine is all over the floor, he might not be, well, desirous to be nice. And the three of them, or the four of them, started yelling at each other. And it got louder and louder. You know how when you're hearing people fight and you're not part of the fight, you kind of want to go, ooh. (laughs) But you know you shouldn't do that. And then the people at the wedding got kind of nervous, and everyone just kind of left a little bit. And they came up the stairs still screaming at each other. And the tailor says, This is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of in my life. And his wife said, Are you calling us fools? Oh. He said, No, but I should have. Oh. And his mother said, his new Mother in law said, We are not fools. You, yeah, you kind of are. You are foolish. In fact, you are probably the most foolish people in the world. And of course, the grocer said, We are not. And the tailor was so angry. He said, yeah, well, you are, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go out in the world, and I'm not coming back until I find three people more foolish than you. And he ran out of the house and got his horse and took off. And he rode for about ten minutes and stopped. Because he had just left his own house. <laughs> and he wasn't coming back. <laughs> until he could find three really foolish people more foolish than the people he just left. The easiest way to end an argument is to apologize. The hardest way to end an argument is to apologize. <laughs> he thought, I'm going to be out here forever. And he went on down the road. And he stopped and he heard. Bang. He went around a corner. A man came running out of his house with a spooch. Bang! He went to a well. He pulled up the bucket. Water was dribbling out of a big hole. He put the teaspoon underneath and got one teaspoon of water. He dropped the bucket. He ran back in the house. Bang! The tailor just watched this process three or four times. He said, excuse me, do you mind if I follow you? I don't care. I'm busy. He said, I can see that. The man took that teaspoon of water into the house. There was a huge pot on the stove. He dropped the teaspoon of water into the pot and went back out to the well. (laughs) The man looked in the pot. It was half filled with water, completely filled with potatoes. The man came back in. The tailor took the spoon out of his head. What are you doing? Just, Just hear me out for a second. What's happening here? The man said, I've got to fill up my pot. I, if I work at it all day, I'll be able to cook my potatoes tomorrow. <laughs> so the tailor said, watch this. He went outside. He got some straw. He broke it. He pulled the bucket up. The man said, where are you taking my bucket? You've already got my spoon. Just watch. Watch. He put the straw in the hold, cut it off, got some tar, made a plug, dropped the bucket in the water, pulled it up, took it into his house, and poured a bucket of water on the potatoes. The man was amazed. <laughs> he said, you've got to be the smartest man who ever lived. <laughs> the tailor handed him his spoon, went back, got his horse, and said, one.
3: <laughs>
2: he went down the road a little more hopeful. <laughs> then he heard, he came around the corner. There was a man in the middle of the road without any pants on. Wow. At the bottom of a the tree, there was a pair of pants. The man climbed up the tree, angled his legs at the pants, and let go.
3: <laughs>
2: Tied his pants back up and went back up the tree. <laughs> Excuse me, don't bother me, I, I, trust me, I need to help you.
3: <laughs>
2: come come down, in a minute, shh, pow! <laughs> the tailor took his pants. Where are you taking my pants? Nowhere. Come here, he turned around. Put your leg in the pants.
3: <laughs>
2: he didn't want to put the other one in there. He did, he pulled it up. Man said, <gasps> wow, my father taught me to put my pants on the other way, this is amazing! <laughs> the tailor said, I'm a professional.
3: <laughs>
2: he said, you're the most amazing man I've ever met. Thank you. You've changed my life. Off he walked. Two. <laughs> well, he might be home for dinner. He got on his horse. <laughs> <laughs> and then he heard, the leg, the, the head, the, t- the, the, head the, 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 the legs. Big argument going on. He came around a bend, and there was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever seen. It was a wedding party. Everyone's kind of grumbling, but most of the people look terrible. All of the nice suits are wrinkled and dirty. All of the women, you know, when you like spray that bun on, it falls down, <laughs> swinging back and forth. And everyone's clothes are wrinkled and everyone looks sad. There are three people having the loudest argument, and they're saying, The head, the legs, the head, the legs, the head, the legs. And someone said, Tail, be quiet. The head, the legs. <laughs> They were standing in front of a big arch. There was a very tall horse and a very tall girl, and it was clear that they couldn't fit easily under the arch because the horse was tall and the girl was tall. There were two grooms: the groom who'd married the woman and the groom who took care of the horse, and they were arguing. The heck, the legs, that! And so finally, the tailor he just like, "What is this?" There's like thirty people here. He stopped. He said, "Excuse me, what's happening?" And they said, "We don't have time." I know you don't have time because clearly you're all very busy. But what's going on? And the man who'd married the bride, the groom, said, Look, in our village, when you get married, in order to have a good life, you must ride under this arch. But as you can see, this horse is too tall. We need to cut his legs off and drag him beneath the arch. (laughs) And the groom who took care of the horse said, You are not cutting my horse's legs off. The problem is this woman is too tall. If we cut up her head, she'll fit right under the arch.
3: <laughs>
2: and they went back to arguing. The head, the legs, the head, the legs. The so tailor walked up to the lady and said, Psst. She leaned over. He said, just keep bent over, just like that. And he led the horse under the arch. And all thirty of the people jumped to their feet and began to applaud. He said, That's more than three. He went home, and by that time, his poor wife was outside waiting for him, and they embraced each other, and everybody apologized, and they had a wonderful, wonderful supper, because there was a lot of food left over, because everyone left before it was completely consumed. (laughs) A year later, they had a son, and they named him... Bastianello. Bastianello. But he never fell down the stairs because they kept the door closed. (laughs)
1: Donna Washington with (laughs) Bastianello. We hope you said it along with us as we said it along with Donna in the Appleseed Performance Studio. There's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. We got a Reader's Theater adaptation of a moment from Through the Looking Glass, the Lewis Carroll classic. And the whole Appleseed team uh, gathers together here in the studio to solve Einstein's riddle. Ever heard of it? We're gonna bring it to you a little later on. But up next, we're gonna spend a moment around the desk with a little talk back about Donna Washington's story. I'm Sam Payne. A moment ago, it was our pleasure in the Appleseed Performance Studio to hear the great storyteller, Donna Washington with a story called (laughs) Bastionello. We hope you had as much fun doing that along with Donna Washington as we did. The wonderful uh, happy voices here around the desk are our producers, Brian Tanner
4: and Heather Bigley. Guys, it's great to have you with me. Buongiorno! Uh, In bocca al lupo. No, in bocca al lupo. Which is in the mouth of the wolf. That's a way to say good luck. Oh. In Italian. Oh, wow. That's something the opera singers say to each other. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay. That's like cooler than break a leg. Yeah, that
1: is much
4: cooler.
1: <laughs> so we listened to that wonderful story. So much fun to hear that performance and to get to participate a little bit. And again, we hope you at home participated as well. Um, uh, Brian, Tanner, where does that story take you?
4: You know... It reminded me of just kind of when you catastrophize everything that could happen in your house. Like, oh, no, they could fall down the stairs. They could do this. They could do that. (laughs) It just reminds me of the process that people go through when they're, like, baby-proofing their house. Or we recently got a dog. And so before the dog came home, we thought – Hmm, he could chew on that. He could grab that, and so we just went through the whole house, kind of grabbing everything that we could out of the dogs, uh, out of the dogs' reach, and preparing our kids. Like they could destroy your favorite toys. They could rip up your favorite, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> favorite stuffed animals. And now that we have him in the house, we found he just does not have a proclivity to really chew on things. And so all of it was kind of just like the story wasn't really necessary. <laughs> That's funny. I, I'm in that place in my house right
1: now. We we became cat. People not too long ago, and suddenly, well, you know, I, I might have thought that we were being, you know, overcautious in mm-hmm. terms of imagining every possible thing that could happen. We would look at each other and say, "Really, that's going to happen?" No, come yeah. on. Uh, uh, but I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs>
4: So it's for you. It's been worse it's than you imagined. Wow. It's almost Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> and how about you, Heather?
5: Uh, no pets. No pets for me. <laughs> um, though my, but that's how my husband thinks. And after being married for 15 years, I uh, often will turn to someone and say, "You know what could go wrong here?" And they're like, I, "You don't seem like the person who would think that way." And I'm like, "No, no, but I've been I've been trained, yeah. trained well." The other thing I like about this story is there are so many stupid people. Like when he makes the bet, it's sort of like he walks out the door and is like, I will never come back. I'm never going to come back. I said this thing and there's no way to turn around. And and lickety split, he finds a bunch of stupid, stupid people (laughs) (laughs) that he can be like, oh, great. Mm -hmm. Job done. I'll be home for dinner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And of course, you know, you think about that and like if if my neighbor had been – in that situation, right? If my if my if my next door neighbor had found himself in search of three silly people, right? Yeah, the first house he'd pass is my house, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just know that it, it, if he could see me engaged in just about any activity, he would say, "There's one." And, you know, I mean, we, we we find ourselves looking at other people and going, "Yep, silly person," but we we we. We would do well to look at ourselves and our own silliness, right? <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. I, the other night I was hanging out with some friends. Uh, one of them, their son, is getting married. And this man was telling us of all the decisions that the couple were making over their wedding. And he was speaking in an octave higher. He was so outraged by the decision making process. <laughs> and um I first said, wow, you're really upset. And then I thought, no, I do this too. I I get outraged by decisions that really shouldn't concern me yeah. or make any, any impact on my life. And yet I will turn to someone and be like, Mah! you know, <laughs> about
3: it. <laughs>
1: Uh, It
5: was a life lesson.
1: Well, there is a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. In just a moment, we are going to hear a Reader's Theater presentation of just a little bit of Lewis Carroll's classic, Through the Looking Glass. But first, here's a memory of mine. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal
2: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the
4: Appleseed.
1: This is the memory of a game. In this memory, it's 2021. And my stepdad, Dennis, who has long cared for my mother like an absolute superhero through the long years of her dementia, has just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's himself. And he's declining pretty fast. But not so fast that he can't still make some of the big choices that will determine how the next part of his life goes. And he wants to live in a posh assisted living community. That's his plan. And he picks out a great one, 700 miles away. Now, to be clear, the assisted living community is only an hour or so from my house. It's just that Dennis and my mom have been living 700 miles away from us for the last decade or so. And now, well, they're coming back home, if you like. And after my brother drives the long distance to their house with a U-Haul and loads them up, and after they make the long drive to their new home, and we all get their assisted living apartment set up, there's a quiet afternoon moment in which it's just me and my stepdad. And we're both tired, and we're both a little apprehensive about what's to come, and we're wondering what happens next. And I ask Dennis if he'd like to play a game of chess. Well, chess is a big deal for my stepdad. For as long as anyone can remember, he has played an online game of chess every Sunday afternoon with his childhood friend, Ernie, who lives thousands of miles away. But Dennis's computer isn't set up yet in the new place, and so it falls to me for sit-in live for, well, for someone who really knows how to play chess. And I'm ready to do my best, and also ready to get whooped by Dennis. But the thing is, Dennis's memory has already slipped far enough that he's having a hard time playing the game. In fact, as I watch him take one of his own white pawns and capture one of his own white rooks with it, I'm struck with another memory, an older memory. It's the memory of my little brother, David, learning to play chess years ago. David was three years old back then. My dad was the teacher— And he taught three-year-old David about each piece, what it was called and how it could move on the board. And David seemed to kind of get it, except that when it came time for David to set up the board for a game, He'd put the pieces on the board very carefully, wherever the heck he felt like putting them. And when he was done, David picked up a pawn from among his pieces and moved it about 10 spaces across the board and knocked over dad's queen. And then he took both pieces, his pawn and dad's queen, and removed them gleefully from the board and put them in his lap. And that's kind of how the whole game went. It was a pretty rip-roaring game, if you want to know. About four moves in, both David and my dad were laughing fit to kill. Every move seemed funnier than the last. It was a pretty short game, too, as you can imagine, as each move from David removed at least two pieces from the board, one of his and one of Dad's. And to be honest, I was a little flustered by the end, just watching it go down. I mean, aren't there rules you're supposed to follow in a game like this? How could this game be as fun as it seemed to be when David wouldn't follow the rules? Well, David's unique style became known in our family as David rules chess, and he and Dad played it as often as any of us played regular chess. It was always a comically good time watching, and we learned, in the end, to have a ball. And all grown up, as I played chess with Dennis, my stepdad, I thought about David Rule's chess, and I thought about how frustrated I used to get, about how intolerant of little Dave's errors I seemed to be all those years ago, even though the kid was only three. And I compared those long-ago thoughts, those memories, to thoughts on this afternoon about how little the rules seemed to matter to me as I played now with Dennis. Maybe some would have preferred to honor their parent by insisting on a by-the-rules match the way the old guy had played in his prime. But I think heaven smiled on our game, in which a lot of lapses were let slide on by in favor of winning the real prize a little rest, safe in the company of the guy across the table, as he is, not as he was, not as one wishes he were. That chess game came at the beginning of a new time, a time that would come with a lot of errors, frankly, and a time in which every moment was filled with the kind of care that comes when you know not many more moments are left to you. I hope I always remember that game, and I hope it helps me spend less time keeping score and more time being the kind of person in whose company someone I love might find some rest, some safety, no matter what mistakes they might have made on the board. That, I think, is the kind of game I'd like to get good at. That's the kind of game I think I'd like to win.
2: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
1: Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling around the kitchen table or the living room can make for memories that last a lifetime. It's been my pleasure to sit and chat around the desk about the Donna Washington story, Bus Cianello, with Heather Bigley and Brian Tanner, our producers. Thanks, guys, for joining me.
5: Thank you. Grazie.
1: (laughs) Ciao. (laughs) I'm Sam Payne. There's a lot more coming up. great to have you with us on an episode of The Appleseed that has already included a terrific performance from the wonderful storyteller Donna Washington, a story called Bastianello, and of course a Radio Family Journal entry and a delightful moment of talkback about that Donna Washington story with our producers Heather Bigley and Brian Tanner. And up next, a very special Reader's Theater adaptation of a moment from Through the Looking Glass, performed in front of our terrific studio audience. Our senior producer Brian Tanner introduces us and leads us through one of his favorite moments from that classic Lewis Carroll novel from 1871. Here it is on the Appleseed.
4: As children, we learn that the world is made up of rules And those rules are taught to us by authority figures. And they make sense, usually. (laughs) But what if a rule doesn't make sense to you? For example, you learn in school that when you're dividing fractions, you invert the second fraction and then you multiply them. But why do you invert them? Uh, That was something that I always wondered. I guess I just thought to myself, well, that's the rule. (laughs) To be honest, I don't know if it ever occurred to me that I could just raise my hand and ask for an explanation. I just accepted that it was true because that's what my teacher said. But when I got a little bit older, I read about a girl who had encountered situations that were even more nonsensical than that. And she was not afraid to speak up when she did not understand the rules.
6: The rule is jam every other day. Well, I don't care for jam. It's very good jam. Well, I don't want any today at any rate. You couldn't have it if you did want it. The rule is jam tomorrow and jam yesterday. Never jam today. But it must come sometimes to jam today. No,
0: it can't. It's jam every other day. Today isn't any other day, you know. Well, I don't understand you. It's dreadfully confusing. There's a mistake in there somewhere.
4: <laughs> so that dreadfully confusing exchange is between Alice and the White Queen from the book Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. It's the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and together they were my favorite books when I was young. In them I met an ordinary child from a world that was not that different than mine, and it which was full of authority figures and rules. But unlike me, Alice left her ordinary world and entered a fantasy world that was also full of authority figures and rules. But the rules there were clearly, well, to borrow a, a word from the Cheshire Cat, MAD. <laughs> in the first book, Alice famously follows the white rabbit down the rabbit hole and into Wonderland. But in Through the Looking Glass, Alice bypasses the rabbit hole, and instead she passes through a mirror or a looking glass, you might say, if you lived in Victorian England. And once she arrives in the Looking Glass world, Alice immediately notices that the countryside is laid out in a very curious way.
0: I declare, it's marked out just like a large (laughs) chessboard. Well, there ought to be some men moving about somewhere. (gasps) And so there are. It's a great, huge game of chess that's being played all over the world. Oh, what fun it is. How I wish I was one of them. I wouldn't mind being a pawn if only I might join. Though... Of course, I should like to be a queen best.
4: Her request was granted by none other than the Red Queen herself.
7: That's easily managed. You can be the White Queen's pawn if you'd like. You're in the second square to begin with, and when you get to the eighth square, we shall be queens together. It's all feasting and fun.
4: So, Alice heads off across the chessboard land on a quest to become a queen, and along the way she has run-ins with the likes of Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Humpty Dumpty, and a lion and a unicorn who battle each other for a crown. Those episodes are all a great deal of fun. I encourage you guys to go out and read the whole story of Through the Looking Glass. But for now, let's go ahead and skip to the moment when Alice arrives at the eighth square and she undergoes an immediate transformation.
0: What is this on my head? A golden crown? But how can it have gotten there without my knowing it? Well, this is grand. I never expected I should be a queen so soon. And if I really am a queen, I shall be able to manage it quite well in time.
4: But if Alice thought that becoming a queen would mean that she'd understand the rules all of a sudden, well, she would soon find out that it wouldn't be that simple. Little did she know she was about to be given the final exam on looking-glass logic.
7: Please, would you tell me? Speak when you're spoken to. O- but if
0: everybody obeyed that rule, and you only spoke when you were spoken to, and if the other person always waited for you to begin, well, you see that nobody would ever say anything,
7: so that Ridiculous! Now, child, what right have you to call yourself a queen? You can't be a queen, you know, till you've passed the proper examination. And the sooner we begin it, the better. Can you do addition? What's
6: one and 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 one?
7: Well, I don't know. I lost count. She can't do addition. Can you do subtraction? Take nine from eight. Nine from eight? Well, I can't, you
6: know. She can't do subtraction. Can you do division? Divide a loaf by a
7: knife. What's the answer to that?
0: Well, I suppose... Bread
7: and butter, of course. (laughs) Try another subtraction sum. Take a bone from a dog. What remains? Hmm. Well, the bone wouldn't remain,
0: of course, if I took it. And the dog wouldn't remain. And it would come to bite me, and
7: I'm sure that I shouldn't remain. Then you think nothing would remain? I think that's the answer. Wrong as usual. The dog's temper would remain. But I don't see how... Why, look here. The dog would lose its temper, wouldn't it? Perhaps it would. Then, if the dog went away, its temper would remain. They might go different ways... Oh, what dreadful
6: nonsense we are talking. She can't do sums a bit. Can you do sums? <gasps> I can do addition if you give me time. But I can't do subtraction under any circumstances. Of course. You know your ABC. To be sure I do. So do I. We'll often say it over together, dear. And I'll tell you a secret. I can read words of one letter. (laughs) Isn't that grand? However, don't be discouraged. You'll come to it in time.
7: Can you answer useful questions? How is bread made? I know that. You take some flour. Where do you pick the flour? In a garden
6: or in the hedges?
0: Oh, well, it
6: isn't picked at all. It's ground. How many acres of ground? You mustn't leave out so many things. Oh, have to fan her head.
7: She'll be feverish after so much thinking. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh, oh, oh. oh, she's all right again now. Do you know languages? What's the French for fiddle-dee-dee? <laughs> Fiddle-dee-dee's not English. Whoever said it was.
3: Well,
0: if you'll tell me what language fiddle-dee-dee is, I'll tell you the French for it. Queens
6: never make bargains. I wish queens never asked questions. Oh, don't let us quarrel. Um, oh, what is the cause of lightning?
0: The cause of lightning is thunder. Oh, no, no, I I meant it the other way. It's too
7: late to correct it. Once you've said a thing, that fixes it, and you must take the consequences. Which reminds me, we had such a
6: thunderstorm last Tuesday. I mean, one of the last set of Tuesdays, you know.
7: In our country, there's only one day at a time. Oh, that's a poor, thin way of doing things. Now here, we mostly have days and nights, two or three at a time. And sometimes in the winter, we take as many as five nights together for warmth, you know. Are five nights warmer than one night, then? 5 times as warm of course <laughs> but they should be 5 times as cold by the same rule just so 5 times as warm and 5 times as cold just as I'm 5 times as rich as you are and 5 times as clever <sighs> It's exactly like a riddle with no answer <sighs> I am so sleepy! Oh, she's tired, poor thing! Smooth her hair, lend her your nightcap, and sing her a soothing lullaby. I haven't got a nightcap with me, and I don't know any soothing lullabies. Ugh, I must do it myself then hush by lady in alice's lap till the feast's ready we've time for a nap when the feast's over we'll go to the ball red queen and white queen and alice and all and now you know the words just sing it through to me i'm getting sleepy too
4: And just like that, the two queens fell fast asleep with their heads in Alice's lap, snoring loudly. (laughs) As a child, I adored all of Alice's ridiculous interactions. But looking back, I think that I got more out of these books than just silliness for the sake of silliness. By cranking up the absurdity of the Wonderland rules, I think there's an invitation to think more deeply about the rules that we're given. Are they just arbitrary? Or is there some logic behind them that we can discover if we ask? In this way, I believe that the Alice stories helped me develop into a more critical thinker. And that trait has followed me into adulthood. And it's perhaps even influenced some of my most important life choices. For instance, as a young adult, I went to a talent show where most of the people were doing conventional talent show acts like singing and dancing. But there was one act that really stood out to me. It was a short presentation by a woman standing at a blackboard. She was a math teacher, and so for her talent, she walked the audience through the logic behind the invert and multiply rule for dividing fractions. (laughs) Uh Aha, I thought. So that's why it works. And in just a few minutes, she had made sense out of a rule that had previously seemed nonsensical to me. Well, she may not have won the talent show, but she did make me think... I got to go get to know that girl. (laughs) A few years later, we were married, and I still love it when she unravels the mysteries around algebra or geometry for me. And I should say, she's sitting right over there. (laughs) So the next time you're puzzling over fractions, or why you can't have jam today, or some other rule that makes you think to yourself...
0: It's exactly like a riddle with no answer.
4: Take a cue from Alice and ask somebody... Why? <laughs>
1: producer Brian Tanner in front of the Appleseed Studio audience with an adaptation of Through the Looking Glass a moment at least from the classic Lewis Carroll novel. Thanks to Ellie Mellon as Alice Freya Jorgensen as the White Queen, Darcy Ramirez as the Red Queen Now up next, the Appleseed team solves Einstein's riddle together here on the Appleseed. Uh, What's Einstein's riddle, you ask? Well You're going to find out right now. Here's our producer, Heather Bigley, to explain.
5: Perhaps your family puts together puzzles over the winter holidays. Everyone gathered around a card table, fingering the shape of a blue cardboard puzzle piece, reaching over and past your little sister Esperanza and your great-uncle Maynard to snap something into place. That satisfying click resonating in your ears and along your thumb and then your cousin Vishwa adds his piece and then your granny and there's a whole crescendo of pieces until you stand back and see a finished image of a fantastical solar system where an astronaut can leap from Mars to Jupiter in one bound a giant flag in her hands. But that satisfaction might be long in coming. Remember when your auntie spilled all the puzzle pieces onto the cardboard table at the beginning of vacation? A thousand pieces skittering upside down, the cardboard dust making you sneeze? It was slow going, a slog of sorting and comparing and keeping the dog from licking the pieces up on his tongue. But you and your family came back to it between meals and after naps and while the TV played football or your mother's favorite Christmas movie. Maybe you wanted to quit. Maybe you felt overwhelmed by all the different colors of blue in that puzzle. And maybe you did quit because Fortnite is a lot more fun than this. But your abuelo didn't quit. No. He doesn't sleep too well, so he would wake up before dawn and then wander around the table with his reading glasses on his forehead, trying to see the picture and the puzzle at the same time, and bit by bit, the image on the box became the image on the table, and you got pulled into it again, standing there, contemplating those blues, until you realize that's not sky in your hand, but the reflective bumper of the Mars rover. Snap. Logic puzzles are the same sort of exasperation and patience and thrill. At first, you're looking at what's essentially a chart full of blanks that you're expected to fill in, and all that negative space overwhelms you. Where do you start? How do you decide what goes where? When I was a teacher, I taught a logic class for seventh graders, and one of our favorite activities was to solve logic puzzles as a class, working through what's known as Einstein's riddle. The legend goes that Einstein created the puzzle as a young man, but no one can really confirm that. You can easily find it on the internet. I'll read you the situation here. There are five houses in five different colors. In each house lives a person with a different nationality. These five owners drink a certain type of beverage, smoke a certain brand of cigar, and keep a certain pet. No owners of the same pet smoke the same brand of cigar, or drink the same beverage. So, the question is, who owns the fish? If you're paying attention, that's five different people with five different characteristics. This puzzle is solved when you correctly deduce where each person lives, what they drink and smoke, and what their pet is, so you can, of course, answer who owns the fish. The Appleseed team got out an enormous piece of paper to solve this together. There's five we different like colors, colors. Color. right? Yeah.
4: Do we have different colored markers? Would that help?
5: Thankfully, there are a few clues that come with the puzzle. The Brits live in the Red House, the Swede keeps dogs as pets, the Dane drinks tea, the Green House is on the left of the White House. You get the idea.
7: The Norwegian lives in the First House. And we know that it is not the White House. Right. The
5: very first logic puzzles were written by a professor of mathematics at Oxford, known as Charles Dodgson. But Dodgson also went by the pen name Lewis Carroll, whom most of us know as the author of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, who gloried in the unconventional, the uncomfortable, and the mystifying, like we just heard. Logic is a system that's supposed to help us make sense of the world. From two premises, you can deduce a valid
1: inference. The Norwegian lives next to the Blue House. Next to the Blue House, and we know he lives in the first house. Yes. So we know that's the Blue House. So that narrows our choices for the Green House and the White House
7: to three. The Green House's owner drinks coffee, so it can't be this one because this person drinks milk.
5: But valid doesn't mean true. In fact, logicians have a different way of recognizing a valid inference that is also true. They call that a sound inference and perhaps that is what Lewis Carroll was getting at with his children's books. Just because something follows the rules doesn't make it sound.
4: Am I wrong in saying that Norwegian can only drink water? Is there?
5: What is your, yeah.
4: I think we just air this unedited. <laughs> this is the episode. <laughs> this is radio is so gold. Cold. This is
5: riveting. <laughs> I used logic puzzles in my seventh grade classroom to help kids practice deduction, but it had a bigger reason too. One great big puzzle for all of us to solve helped us work together practice teamwork, build friendship, and respect for each other. Sort of like your family, huddled around the Christmas puzzle.
1: Home. So there Looking we go. Nice! Green. <laughs> and then we know the Brit is in the red and house. And then the yeah. Norwegian has to be the yellow house. Yellow.
7: <laughs>
5: <laughs> America is currently engaged in a similar team building exercise through Wordle. Wordle is a word game developed during the COVID pandemic. It's sort of a combination of Sudoku and text twist. You have six tries to guess a five-letter word. Every time you guess, you're told through yellow and green squares lighting up behind your letters, which of your letters exist in the actual word you want to find. There's a delighted yeep from most of us when we see all five letters light up in green. That means you've accurately guessed the word. The cool thing about Wordle is that there is only one word puzzle a day for the entire world. We're all playing the same game at approximately the same time, which means we like to share our wins. And the game comes with a share function to help you do just that on social media. I know people who post their win on Facebook every day. I personally share mine in a little text group of friends. I'm always amazed when they can work out the word in only two or three guesses. Often we share what our list of guesses were and talk about our strategies together. Sometimes I feel competitive. Sometimes I want to be the person who can guess more accurately than my friends in fewer tries. But Wordle is incredibly humbling. And i found it's just better for my ego if I recognize that though I love words, I might not be the best at logically deducing the answer. My math teacher friend Z is better at that. He usually beats me at Wordle and I'm okay with that. Sometimes. Here at the Appleseed, we solved Einstein's riddle. Yes!
1: <laughs> I can't believe this, this is so
4: huge.
5: <laughs> we aren't going to tell you the answer because you probably want to gather your compadres about you and give it a shot too. Remember, it's a process that takes work and thought, but ultimately ends in delight. Happy deducing.
1: Happy deducing indeed. Thanks to Heather Bigley, one of our producers, for leading the whole Appleseed team through the solving of Einstein's riddle. It's been a pleasure for me to share this hour with you. Join us again on the Appleseed, won't you? You can find us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You can Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe, or you can download the BYU Radio app for ways to listen to all of the great programs produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that family of programs. I'm Sam Payne. If you found us on the podcast today, you can rate and review us. We'd love it if you did that. It helps people find the show. I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed.